Listeners, welcome back. You are now listening to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. I sincerely hope that all of our listeners were able to apply God's wisdom and follow His will last week. My friend recently purchased a new car. This was the first car that he's ever purchased, and it was also a brand new car. I was able to go for a ride in it, and it was very different than my car, which is a used car. First, it was very clean and even had that fresh new car scent. Everything was brand new, and the ride was very smooth. Because the car was so clean, I felt as if I had to wipe my shoes or even take them off to get into his car. When he first purchased his car, the mileage on it was less than ten. But as he kept driving it around, within a week and then after a month, his mileage kept increasing. It was funny to observe him and see how he wanted to save his miles and not drive around, despite the fact that he now had his own car. Sometimes he even used public transportation. I think that if he had a used car, he would be less cautious. In his new car, if there was something in the road. He would carefully drive around it, whereas probably if he had a used car, he would have just driven over anything. When going out to the grocery store or a restaurant or even parking at his apartment, he always made sure he parked at the very end or very far away from other cars. In contrast, I always tend to and want to park very close to the entrance of a store. But as a new car owner, he made sure his car was parked in the safest spot. After purchasing a new car, my friend started building up habits that he did not used to have. He began to change in some ways, and seeing how my friend tried to maintain and save his car, it made me think of the image of Christians. Do we have the mentality of wanting to save something new in our hearts? What am I trying to say? Does it not say in Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone; the new is here. The scripture tells us if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. They are no longer as they were before, and therefore become a new creation, a new life. How much effort do we put in trying to conserve our new souls created within Christ? Just as my friend tries to save his miles and drives less with his newly purchased car, or parks it far from other drivers to ensure it is kept safe. Do we try to protect and keep our souls safe, our souls that have been renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ, so it does not get filthy or worn? Do you strive to keep your soul clean? We'll come back to share more after our first song. Breath of God. 
When something makes a clean surface, messy people clean the dirtiness off. Everyone wants to keep what is new as new as possible. A new car, new shoes, new clothes, a new watch. Isn't this true for everyone? To keep it in new condition, we protect the item and don't allow for circumstances that might make it dirty, and if it does get dirty, we clean it as soon as possible. Through the blood of Christ, my soul has become a new creation. Which was once worn out and torn by sin. All of my sin has been washed away and has become as white as snow. How are we protecting our white and newly created soul? How much effort are we putting into trying to change our life habits to keep our souls clean or prevent it from going to corrupt places so that it may not be negatively influenced? Are we trying to wash away any stain and sin on our soul through the blood of Christ? In the original language, when it says that we have become a new creation, this signifies that we have become a new creation, just as when God first created us and said that what He saw was good. It means that we have been recreated into a creation without sin. If my cleaned and white soul was stained with sin, wouldn't I want to wash it away? Wouldn't we want to keep our soul from going near dirty places and things? Shouldn't we feel that it would be hard to watch our recreated soul become filthy? People who truly understand that they have been created as a new creation will strive to keep their image as new and clean as possible. Are all of our listeners striving to keep their souls clean? Are we protecting our souls from the filthy things of this world? Thank、you
Up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Four Stages of Christian Life, Part 2, based on 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 24. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. It's, it's through use. And the way I'll memorize things is just a verse at a time, a sentence at a time. And the fact is, just a little aside, if you say a verse seven times, you'll memorize it. If you say it seven times. And then it's a matter of review. And you review it for seven days, and you'll have it saved. All right? It's simple. And、uh, you know, just kind of be saying it over, saying it over. And it's okay. And some, I know somebody was telling me the other day, he was saying, you know, I'm just feeling so bad because I can't memorize the Bible. All I can do is kind of paraphrase it in my head. I said, great, do it. That's enough. You've got the truth of it. So that's okay. I mean, it, what, is there anything wrong if I say, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son? And if you believe in him, you're not going to die. But you're going to go to heaven. Is that okay? Do you think I captured John 3 16? Yeah, that's the truth. Young men are known for、uh, another, in that spiritual stage, there'll be believers. I notice believers who get kind of argumentative. They want to、um, test their knowledge, spar. They like to spar, okay? They like to, all right, Pastor Mark. <laughs> What do you think about? And it's cool.
cool to see them excited about the Word of God, wanting to share what they're learning. That is awesome. It's like when your kids come home at this kind of age in life and they're learning so much and if they share with you something, my kids will share with me things from their biology or their history. They don't even talk math to dad, but they'll be, and I'm thrilled. Some of it I know, some details I don't know or can't remember. And they bring it back up and it's wonderful to see them learning this. This will be the time when a lot of, a lot of people that are uh, uh, at, in this youth stage of spiritual maturity where I would say a vast, vast number of Christians are. They love um, apologetics. They love defending the faith. They want to learn about the cults. They want to learn about false doctrine. They want to defend the faith. You know, this is great. You've overcome the evil one. They want to understand this stuff. And they know the word and love the word. And awesome, awesome, awesome. But there is one more stage. And in verse 13a... And 14a, the Apostle John says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you, what? Know Know him who has been from the beginning. Verse 14a, read with me. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. The mark of real spiritual maturity going from baby believers to childhood to youth and now to real maturity in the Lord. The mark of real maturity is not how much you know about God, but how well you know God. Few people who really know God are fighting over facts. They see things in a bigger picture. They're thinking, well, I don't know. Is it worth planting a flag on the hill and dying for this? They look at Father, and they kind of know Father's heart. No, this isn't the heart of God. This isn't what God would do. Some issues are worth dying over. Somebody was saying to me the other day, They were saying, well, you know, I I thought we were brothers. I thought that you were supposed to die for each other. And they were disappointed that I hadn't taken a stand on a certain issue. And I said, we are brothers. And we are supposed to die for each other. And I said, I would die for you if it was an issue worth dying for. But some things are not worth dying for. You understand? They aren't important. In 50 years, that's a great way to think about some things. In 50 years, what difference will it make? That motivates me. I think in 50 years, I won't be here probably. (laughs) So in 50 years, what do I want to do? I mean, what do I want to see? What would be important that I would invest in that will still be here in 50 years? Well, I love right where I'm at in a lot of ways. The Word of God, people, working for the kingdom of God, that's all going to be around long after I've come and gone. Um, There are doctrinal issues that are very important. In 50 years, the deity of Christ is the deity of Christ, and that will never change. Who the church is, loving the people of God. You know, there are doctrines, some doctrines, they're just huge, and we could never compromise. Other things, you know, 
really is, you just have to look at, Father, what's your heart here? What do you want me to do? And so you want to be led by that. That is a, a mark, a, a sign of being mature in the Lord. You know him. Spiritual fathers, spiritually mature believers are people who have an intimate knowledge of God. The secret of the Lord are for those who revere him, David says in the Psalms. And the word secret means the intimate knowledge. God showing his, actually it means to be seated around a little table with the Lord. And he's sitting there discussing things with you. Abraham, that that kind of relationship with God, it points in his life. He was a friend of God. David was a friend of God. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm not going to call you slaves anymore. From now on, I'm calling you what? Friends. Man, friends of God? Okay. But that means that maybe you'll lose some other friendships along the way. It's okay. Just follow the Lord. Be his friend. Have his sweet communion you know him. You absolutely know him. The word for know there is gnosko. It means to know absolutely. God's knowing God also will always be manifested in spiritual maturity, doing his will, obeying God. And that's what he said actually in verses 3 through 11. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know God if we what? Verse 3, keep his commandments. Do you see verse 3? If we say that we've come to know God, we will be keeping his commandments. Now, the commandments are not the Ten Commandments. John, interestingly, distinguishes between the word for for the Ten Commandments and the word for the teachings of Christ, always in his writings. In the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation, All of John's writings, whenever John wants to speak of the Ten Commandment law, he always uses the term namas, from which we get the English term nomenclature, namas. But whenever he wants to talk about the teachings of Jesus, which aren't the same, it's a different covenant, when he talks about the teachings of Jesus, he always uses the term antele, which is the words for teachings or commands. And, and he's, this is a word here. He says, this we know. If, we, if we're really in the will of God, if, we're, if we say that we've come to know him, we're going to be keeping his teachings. Where do we find the teachings of God, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament? So I'm saying, look, these are the teachings of the apostles. This is the teaching of Jesus. Now, if you're really claiming to know him, you're going to do what he says. The one who says, verse 4, I've come to know him and doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. And he knows that somebody's thinking, well, but what, are, what, what commandments got I remember? What, are, what I've got to do? And he says, beloved, verse 7, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you already know. It's a commandment. Remember, it's that simple, old, basic Second command that we've been given, that we love one another. He says that in verse 8 and 9, loving one another. The first commandment is that we believe in Jesus. The second command is that we love one another. That summarizes really all the teaching right there. If you're walking in love, you're not going to be hating 
killing, stealing, adultering, you know, that stuff. You're not going to be doing that. That's not love, is it? Hello? No, that's not love. And if you're believing in Jesus, you're going to be trusting, be walking in faith, understanding his forgiveness and his grace. So it really does summarize it all. It's so simple. Christianity isn't so hard. It's just simple. It's a matter then of growing. I started as a child. Okay, now think about this. There may be areas in your walk and in your faith where you're really grown up and mature. You're like in that father stage, that adult stage of walk. Maybe you're really that way when it comes to knowing the heart of God in doctrine. But you're still maybe a child in trusting the Lord. Do you think that's possible? Do you think we totally mature in every area all at once? Probably not. I think we're all growing. Some of us are, you know, we've got, we spike in one area and another area we're like, you know, we need some growth and development right here. And so the Lord is at work always to nurture those areas in our life where we're maybe deficient. And he'll do that through uh, bringing into our lives situations where we have to learn trust maybe or faith. Situations where we are forced to uh, say, well, I guess the command is to love. (laughs) Okay, how do I do this? Or patience or whatever the area. There's nobody that is 100% mature in every area. We're all growing. And I find that to be pretty encouraging because that way nobody's looking down and saying, well, you know, I am a spiritual, mature person and the rest of you are such babies. That just says right there they haven't grown up, right? They haven't grown up. They're prideful. And that's a pretty basic thing. That's important. So... You know, we'll be encouraging each other like members of a family. One thing that I've appreciated in our family is just watching how the kids, oh, you know, they have their days where they fight and they do their things. They also love one another and they help each other all the time. And probably, you know, part of the reason why they have their little little personal explosions is because they need a little space because they're always together. And... You know, but they're helping each other all the time. That's a picture of family. It's not perfection, but it's love. It's growing together, learning to get through some things, overlooking some things, not making everything places to put your flag. What would happen if every issue in your family was that way? Verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it comes full circle. Saying you're saying you're mature. You're saying that you know the Lord. Live in love. Love toward one another. My little children love one another. That's the word of John to us. Now, if you were to do a little survey and say, generally, where are you at? Where am I at? Am I a baby? With not meaning that in any kind of a negative way. Babies are sweet and precious and innocent and beautiful. 
They're just needy and have a lot of needs. Need to be cared for. But everything is new. Everything is cool. And when people first come into the church, brand new, saved, everything is that way, isn't it? Just everything's so cool. It's when people get a little older and they go, oh, we've sung that song last week. We're singing that song too slow. I like that song, but man, you know, remember when you were a baby Christian, everything was so cool? Oh. Then maybe some of us are in the childhood stage. We're just learning what daddy likes. And that's a fun stage too. And always remember in that stage that your daddy loves you. Every little step, that stage is full of a whole lot of stumbling and falling. Isn't it? Childhood, when a toddler's learning to walk, they're falling all over the place. And of course the parent's going, I can't believe you fell. I can't believe it. Get up, you rotten kid. Is that what parents are doing? What are they doing? The child takes its first step and they're going, get the camera, get the digital cameras, you know, get the video, we gotta take video. Oh, this has gotta be a movie. And the child falls and starts to cry and mom and dad scoop them up. No, 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 don't cry. Oh, you did so good. Oh, do it again. And as, as children in the Lord, as we're learning how to walk and how to please him, we stumble and we fall. A lot, right? Daddy, Father in heaven, Abba, is not going, when are you going to learn to walk? We've been all over this territory for miles. He is going, whoa, get a picture of that. That is so cool. Oh, you're doing so good. Come on, do it again. Get, try it again. It's just okay. It's okay. Do it again. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That's the way Father looks at us. Delighted in every step. And even seeing our falls as movement forward. Then there's that teenage stage into adulthood. And that stage is a stage where we are sometimes testing boundaries, you know, and we're also learning to live on our own. Right? We're learning that we, this faith that we've been admiring in other people, that can be in us. And we're seeing God do things for us. And the word's becoming our own. And we're loving it. And we're making discoveries on our own. And that's cool. And that pleases the Father too. Because he wants us to own this. He wants us to have this as our very own. And then, finally, there's that mature stage where you really have uh, a lot of of track record with the Lord and you look back and your perspective is, you know, the Lord delivered me from these dangers so many times before. He's going to deliver me again. The Lord has, the Lord has always worked. He's pro you're just resting more in the promises. You're sweating things less. You're just knowing that the Lord is in control. You're getting God's perspective, as I said earlier, and you're thinking, you know, Father, what's your heart here? Is that your heart? What are you thinking about this? Some things will make you angry because that's, God's angry about some things. There's some things God hates. Proverbs says that. There's seven things God hates. But there's a whole lot more things God loves. And so you're gonna wanna find the heart of God. 
So grow on, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to yourself and now we are growing in grace. And we are in different stages, every one. But generally, in the stages where we are, Lord, bless us and let us not get discouraged nor let us ever look down on one of our other family members, somebody somebody who may be just learning to walk when we're sprinting around. Lord, we realize that we are all loved children to you, our Heavenly Father, and we're called to help each other and encourage one another and to love one another. Give us your heart, Lord. Give us a hunger and thirst, a passion for you, we pray. Sinful men, God 
find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Marriage is a system which has a strong influence over the world, more so than any other system in our society. Since God made marriage the first institution in society, after creating humankind in the Garden of Eden, anywhere people live, this system exists. However, the world nowadays has a high percentage of people getting divorced, and we're also seeing a trend that is trying to deny the traditional rule of marriage between a man and a woman. 
Christians need to re-examine the biblical standards on marriage and divorce since the percentage of Christians getting divorced is almost as high as the percentage of non-Christians getting divorced. Unfortunately, many couples do not know much about marriage from the biblical standpoint. The modern system of marriage has already lost the meaning of a promise, and now many people have convenient relationships that can easily be broken for any reason. Regardless of this trend, Christians who are married, or who will marry in the future, must know the Bible's teaching about marriage and divorce, because God is the one who created the marriage system. Marriage fulfills many purposes. First, marriage fulfills the purpose of completion. A wife completes a husband, and a husband completes a wife. God created Eve as a suitable helper for her husband, Adam. The purpose of God's creation of Eve was her to be a suitable partner to help Adam. Many people misinterpret this suitable helper and misunderstand that women are servants of men. And it is true that this idea has been dominating the world. But suitable helper in Hebrews has a meaning of equal partner rather than a servant. Regardless of how this phrase has been interpreted, it is important to understand that Adam needed Eve in order to complete himself. It doesn't mean God mistakenly created Adam as incomplete. As he planned, God created Adam in a way that required Eve to be there to help and fully complete him. A human being needs a life partner who can complete him physically, mentally, and emotionally. The second purpose of marriage is to fulfill our relationship with God through a promised relationship. Marriage is a promise vowed in the presence of God. Just like Christ, as a groom, gave his life for the churches that are his bride, a husband should willingly lay down his life for his wife. Also, just as the church, as a bride, obeys Christ our groom, the wife must obey her husband's authority which God had appointed. And as long as the husband consistently leads his wife in godly ways, the wife should follow and obey him. In today's society, that cries of women's rights. It is true that the words from the Bible about obeying the husband is often mistaken as being a servant to a husband, and that is why they say obeying your husband is unethical and it's an outdated view of male dominance. However, this way of thinking is based on the idea that men who follow this belief system are irrational and male chauvinists. Jesus Christ loved the world so much that he gave his life for us. The people who are moved by his love offer and pledge themselves to be servants of Christ. The Apostle Paul always presented himself as a servant of Christ. Nobody would say the relationship between Jesus Christ and his servant Apostle Paul was unethical, irrational, and authoritative. The relationship between a married couple is the same. If the husband loves and is even willing to give his life for his wife, the wife who receives this love would have no problem obeying her husband. The third purpose of marriage is to create a proper environment for children. Children who grow up in a loving family have less difficulty making societal relationships. Children learn the role of men and women through their parents. If a husband and wife live by biblical principles, children will naturally learn these roles as well. The fourth purpose of marriage is to enjoy intimacy with your spouse. Sex is a gift from God for a married couple to unite physically and emotionally. This is best achieved 
when it is done in a married relationship. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. Wrong ideas about marriage start when one focuses on their own selfish benefits. In today's world, when many married couples are asked why they decided to marry their spouse, they often answer that they thought their partner would do certain things for them or become a certain person. They marry to be loved. But Jesus made church as his bride because he loves us. Our marriage should be the same. You marry your partner so that you may love him or her more than anyone else. That's why marriage is a lifelong commitment. Marriage is not about our own benefits, but the benefits of our partner and our family. The purpose of marriage is to fill up the vacancy of an incomplete person and make that person complete and whole. That is what the Bible says about the meaning of marriage. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
after a while, my friend's new car will no longer be a new car. After time passes, he will drive his car through muddy water, and will search for parking spots that are closest to the entrance. But when does this start to happen? That is right. This begins when his attachment for his new car starts to fade, and also when he starts to live without cleaning his new car. The dust that our eyes cannot see will slowly start to pile up, and even though we clean it, if the stains and spots remain, we no longer try to maintain its cleanliness, because it is already worn. We do not try as hard to prevent it from becoming even more worn, and because it is already dirty, we tend to just let things go, even though it becomes a little dirtier. Is this how our souls are? Have our love and passion for Christ faded? Have we given up on protecting our souls because it has already been stained so much by the world, and because it is already too dirty? This shouldn't be a deterrent to clean our soul. We can become new every day with the strength of Christ. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. These are the words of Lamentations chapter three, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. Because God's mercy and compassion is eternal, His presence rains down on us every morning. Do not be disappointed because your soul is stained from sin. By the blood of Christ, it can be washed clean. Because the power of His blood, Christ can wash away our old, present, and future sin. By His one sacrifice, all of our sin has been washed away. By believing in this and coming before Him, our soul, which has been stained, may be wiped away and cleaned. I hope that we may preserve our newly created soul within Christ. Here are the words of First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-one through twenty-three. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope next week we may purify our hearts and come before Christ as a new creation. We will now wrap up unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week, and God bless. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold, pure gold. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be.
Choose to 